All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. Best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you want to trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is day five in Berlin. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiot and this is another episode of Unqualified Opinions. Uh, feeling a little bit better today, so hopefully I'm not going to be sniffling and sneezing and, and coughing like yesterday's episode. Um, but I'm excited to have uh, Jack O'Halloran, uh, founder and CEO of Scale Labs, with me. Talk a little bit about um, his new projects, uh, when they are going live, how they're thinking about building uh, DAP infrastructure and, and new thing called Elastic Sidechains. So um, should be a good episode. Um, Jack, why don't we start by uh, just learning a little bit more about you and and your trajectory in the industry, how you got um, into Bitcoin or Ethereum, kind of what your kind of voyage down the rabbit hole and background was, Um, everything that led to this moment here where for the second day in a row, we are sitting on beanbag chairs (laughs) in the hallway uh, at ETH Berlin. since uh, since this is probably the quietest place in the uh, in the university right now, uh, so how, how the magic happens? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. go, yeah. Dive right um, in. Well, hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Uh, so, you know, I I started working in technology in 2005. Uh, I was at a company called Good Technology. It was a cryptographic secure messaging platform, um, dealing with really you know deep secure crypto. Uh, I like to joke that we had um, a uh, very, very nice cryptography certificate, uh, and that's because Stan, actually coincidentally, Stan, my co-founder of Scale Labs, did the crypto cert. So mm-hmm. we had FIPS 140-2 certification, and um, that was kind of my introduction into uh, to security and messaging. Uh, did that, we sold to Motorola for $500 million, roughly, in uh, 2005. Then I actually started a digital currency platform in 2008. 
So uh, it was, uh, you could tokenize. Interesting timing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it had, had it kind of wrong, but uh, I think the, the spirit was there. So you could actually tokenize resources inside of an enterprise. Mm -hmm. So NASA, for example, could use NASA bucks to tokenize the wind tunnel or supercompute time. And, uh, and then, you know, people fight for these resources. And instead of just claiming, hey, I want it tomorrow, they can actually pay with it with a currency. And, you know, and there's a supply and demand curve. And if they wait a few days, it costs less. Um, anyways, I think it was one of those great ideas that was too early for its time, mm -hmm. uh, but like a lot of great startups, uh, we had a, an amazing team, we'd raised capital, and we were able to take that and build the uh, leading machine learning AI platform for the life science industry. Mm -hmm. So almost every pharmaceutical and biotech rep in the world is guided by this platform. Um, the company's called Octana, so did that for in, in total for... You know, almost nine years. And that was a repurposing of the digital currency platform. It was. It was. We had a you know a team of bio bioinformatic PhDs from Stanford, and mm -hmm. you know in order to have a you know smart price curve for a digital currency mm -hmm. requires really serious analytics and and you know math skills, and and it actually folded really nicely into what we did at Atana. So, um, you know, when you think about analytics, when you think about uh, uh, resource allocation. Uh, it actually was the core engine ended up porting over and, and really became the foundation of, of what we did in uh, the next effort. And so this is uh, through what year you worked on it? So this was, uh, this was uh, basically 2009 through 2000, uh, the end of 2016. Okay. Yeah, so built, you know, built up to you know, 80 million in venture capital funding and you know, 150 plus employees and you know, every major pharmaceutical company for the most part mm -hmm. um, in the world leveraged the platform. So it was a, it was a great learning experience and uh, in terms of startups, uh, startups are usually not overnight successes. Some are mm -hmm. and we hear about those, but sometimes it just takes you know, persistent effort and really finding product market fit. And uh, we had some great advisors and a great team and learned a lot from that process. So that, uh, that was a good segue for me though uh, the digital currency effort into understanding and learning about Bitcoin. So in 2011, had a had a group of friends um, who all went to Stanford. I was living in Palo Alto before that, mm -hmm. and next thing you know, the white papers circling around, and everyone's talking about it. And uh, wasn't uh, savvy or smart enough, I'll say, to start mining at that time or or acquiring tokens. But uh, in 2013, really, really got the you know understood then what was happening. Got on board, became a big, uh, you know, got highly involved. Uh, was was working full time at my own startup, so couldn't full time jump in the space. But um, you know, saw Ethereum launch and really, really was inspired by the business model innovation opportunities. So and so, what what kind of got you all the way in? Was it Bitcoin? Was it Ethereum? So Bitcoin it sounded like it was a little bit more passive. Uh, Ethereum launches not until you know white paper twenty fourteen. Uh, the actual launch 2015. What, what, what was it that made you start paying more attention? So you know what it was? It, it wasn't until, so I was, I was finally getting ready to go, you know, I was starting working and starting another company. This mm -hmm. was uh, at early 2017, had been following Ethereum, had been following space, but like many people I think now that really have gone down the rabbit hole, um, there, I didn't really understand the implications. I think I understood it as currency. I understood uh, at a high level, but when I realized, oftentimes technology is interesting and shiny and bright and can capture your attention, 
But what's really exciting is when you start understanding the implications of the technology. And that's finally like, it was like, I think January of 2017, and like finally understood and grasped how you could split business models on their head and actually create better profit sharing initiatives and better network effects. And really, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, create high impact businesses that bring great return for your investors and your team. But you can do something that brings major positive impact to society as well. And, and it's hard for the big players to compete with the centralization. So that's, that's what really inspired me. And, mm-hmm. and so I was looking at starting my next company in 2017 and uh, completely you know, abandoned all the SaaS and machine learning efforts that I was working on, focused entirely on crypto. Uh, was introduced to Stan Cladco, uh, my co-founder, through Sonny Dillon uh, at Signia Ventures, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Mike Maples at Floodgate, Rick Thompson at Signia, connected us. Stan was also working on uh, on building something in space, and he's got a physics PhD. And, uh, was on a you know early member of a crypto startup with uh, Dan Bonet in 2000, and ran a cryptography lab with the U.S. government, and uh, doing cryptography certs uh, for seven years in Silicon Valley, and had, fe- had founded a few startups as well. And all of a sudden, Stan had these amazing skills that were then highly valuable as cryptography um, became more uh, in style, so to speak. So uh, we we kind of combined efforts, and that's what uh, I could you know, happy to tell you about. And so this is mid 2017. Yeah, uh, later, like Q3 2017, I believe we were we were introduced, and and so I met Stan, and you know I think you know it's hard to innovate out of the box. Mm-hmm. It's much it puts easier to innovate by trying to solve problems. So I was you know really inspired by the what could be produced from a DAP side, and yep. how you could build network effects to bring you know better profit sharing and governance models to. Uh, to light uh, different different areas. Now, d- define define DAP versus you know uh, standalone protocol versus like a DAO, right? H- how do you think about uh, distributed applications? What uh, what's kind of the focus uh, you think for for that segment of the market? Yeah, so I was you know I think it's like it's it's a stack, and even on the DAP side, there's an element of protocol and and and, and you know and, and so without getting too into the weeds, what I'd say is. You have these real base layers that provide just deep core infrastructure mm-hmm. that don't touch end users, right? This is where developer truly happens. This is where scale lives, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. in that category. That's where Ethereum lives. And then above that, you have uh, application side uh, efforts that also have to be reaching into those protocols. I mean, you have this across games and decentralized finance applications and uh, and so on and so forth. There, there are a lot of exciting DAP category uh, efforts that are taking place that, for example, partner with scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I was looking at that side and Stan, for example, had an idea of building a decentralized exchange. He had an idea for a messaging platform like Twitter with integrated payments mm-hmm. and a couple other ideas. And, and he and I talked and he, was, he, he had moved back to Ukraine. And so we really hit it off. And, and so I flew out there and I said, and we whiteboarded for a few days. And I asked him, I was like, why do you think you can do this, 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 and this? And we mapped out the tech and the architecture. And this is middleware. Like, I know this game. I've been in middleware my whole career. Um, and Stan also obviously knew deep infrastructure and, uh, and it, based off his experience. And he said, hey, let's, let's bring this to other people. Um, and instead of trying to start 
four different uh, efforts across you know end users and creating network mm-hmm. effects in its specific categories, we could bring this to people like us who needed this in order to make Ethereum scalable. So that really was the inspiration. And, and Stan is, is definitely a technical visionary. And I, I was just impressed to see how he was solving the problem for his needs and his requirements mm-hmm. for those different products he was, he was looking at working on. At that point, when you're first whiteboarding this and, and thinking about what to do next, um, there's a lot of other alternatives to Ethereum. Right, so mm-hmm. Definity is getting kicked around. You've got Polkadot. You've got mm-hmm. um, half a dozen other, you know, quote unquote Ethereum killers, or yeah. or you know, better alternatives that will be either more scalable or more usable, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you make the decision to focus? You call it middleware, but but scale is designed to be a foundational protocol, right? Or, or, or yeah. so kind of where in the ecosystem. Or protocol stack, you see scale fitting, and and what exactly does it do? So, so I, that's the interesting and one of the cool things about this space is that it is, it is far more complex than individual a layer one and a layer two. So, if you mm-hmm. look at scale, scale is an elastic blockchain network, so it could be used entirely on its own. So, if you think about an elastic blockchain network, what does that mean? That's where you could have tens of thousands of nodes. And at scale, each node is actually comprised of 128 subnodes. And so if you think about it, a, you know, a thousand nodes can run 128,000 subnodes within the scale network. And within that, you could actually, they can be pulled, randomly pulled together and sorted together in an autonomous fashion, almost like if those familiar with Kubernetes. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'll try to give a primer for people not familiar with Kubernetes or Docker. You think of Docker as a way to split a compute resource, a, you know, mm-hmm. a server, into subservers. Yep. So instead of having you know one machine do every effort of the individual computer, you can take one piece of hardware and create numerous compute instances. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a scale node, it's comprised into a number of these compute instances. So one box can create many, many, many nodes, and it also mm-hmm. can perform support functions. So the way that what's happened with Kubernetes is they've been able to look at Docker and say, hey, let's make a way to manage and deploy these sub-compute resources or containers or microservices in a centralized world, right? Mm-hmm. And so these are both open source efforts with Kubernetes and Docker. And with scale, there's no Kubernetes. It's actually a series of smart contracts that live on the Ethereum main chain. So on Ethereum, you can almost think of it as this orchestration brain that's comprised of smart contracts mm-hmm. that speaks to every scale node that has an individual, every scale node, instead of just doing blockchain activities, there's a piece of it that actually acts as a coordination engine. So mm-hmm. it does orchestrations, it does auditing amongst the nodes, and it does uh, it does uh, general administration. So, so each node speaks back to the Ethereum mainnet, and what those things do together is they uh, are able to build blockchains on demand for people and to the requirements they want. So if, you, if you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm building a game today in the centralized world, you're going to go to Amazon or DigitalOcean or Google Cloud or Azure, and you're going to say, wow, I, this is how many users I probably have. going to have. This is how much space I need. And you're going to pay for what you need, and you're going to dial it in. You may have different features. And you can actually do that with scale. You can dial in privacy features, you can dial in size, you can dial in security requirements. And 
things. And then what happens though is you're not doing this in a way that like you're talking to people, you're literally interacting with a protocol that then looks at resources, prices them, mm -hmm. and then apportions them to you as a developer so you can leverage them. And so you could use a blockchain then on its own scale, or one great use case is to use it as a side chain and connect it to Ethereum, but instead, oh, go ahead. I'll I'll start, start. Yeah, yeah, there, there's 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 a, there's a lot there, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, let me let me try to re uh, repeat a little bit of this back to you. So so one way to think about uh, scale nodes and, and kind of the infrastructure here, it's almost like uh, you know containerization of nodes, mm -hmm. right? So uh, you said there's 128 sub nodes. Mm -hmm. um, what what is the purpose of a sub node versus a full node uh, from from an application developer's perspective? Why is that valuable? And, and because um, I, I think about the uh, just running a node in general mm -hmm. um, for any of these networks, and, and the cost is very high, especially for something like Ethereum, where, yes. where you've got to store state, and, mm -hmm. and there are you know um, you know thousands of transactions and, and, yes. and, and different uh, uh, levels of state that you have to store. It's become prohibitively expensive. If you want to do uh, historical uh, state storage, I think Infura yes. is basically the maybe the only <laughs> company in the world that does it uh, at this point. So um, I'm just trying to get a sense, uh, practically speaking, what 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 that means to have a, a sub node and, and an application developer would use that versus Ethereum or another smart contract platform. Because that's yeah. So so really great. So first, let's look at like. What the what you get, what are the differences in mm -hmm. the different subnode packages? So if let's say I get the one one hundred and twenty, the small version, mm -hmm. I have far far less storage because I have less compute resources. So let's mm -hmm. say there's there's a thousand nodes in the scale network to start. We use randomness to then select those tiny or small subnodes for you, mm -hmm. and then you have a small chain. Then you're only going to be able to do maybe twenty transactions per second on your small chain, and yep. you're going to have to be far less. You're going to be more limited in what you can store because you just have less space. Um, if you want a large chain, you're going to pay more. You'll be able to do 2,000 transactions per second and store you know, dramatically more in your chain. So, so one way to think about this is this could be very good for tinkerers that are spinning up dApps. For the small chains. Um, for, yes. for small chains, testing them out, and then you hit scale just like you know your website running on AWS. Mm -hmm. explodes overnight you can just turn on new instances and, and voila now you've got the, the the capability to serve a much larger audience and you can deploy different chains to serve different purposes too you could even have mm -hmm. one that's dedicated just to storage yeah. Yeah. so you asked a really interesting question about cost so, so the, those those 128 mm -hmm. uh sub nodes are those all different um different Use specific nodes, so one for storage, one for compute, or, or they kind of vary. Are there um, different categories? They all, they're all exactly identically the okay. same. And what can happen though is they can be pushed together. You could have a medium sized one, and it yep. could be you know, just more of these plot together. You could have the whole thing, you have a large one. So, mm -hmm. what's happening is um, so you, if you're running a node as a validator, so you're, you're doing work, you're, you're staking into the system, and then you get paid to turn your server on, right? To provide a resource to the network. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing, your, your node may be on 128 different dApps. You may be on uh, 10 games, <coughs> 40 decentralized finance applications, and 
20 uh, B2B disruptor DAP. So mm -hmm. even you, don't, you don't even, you don't care. You're just running the node and then providing the resources. And then the system is automatically taking your resource and putting it to use for the network. And then Got it. for a developer, you just basically, you don't care which, who's providing the resource as long as it's randomized mm -hmm. as, and rotated. And there's incentives to make sure that the network's secure. Because um, there's there's issues with traditional side chains that we're happy to talk about where mm -hmm. this really solves for those. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. The best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you want to trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register. All right, um, back to it. So... Um, so let's let's first define side chains, right? Yes. Um, because there's been basically since 2014 a lot of hype about them, mm -hmm. uh, and in some people's eyes, not a whole lot of traction, particularly on mm -hmm. Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, kind of the evolution of side chains, and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not building on Bitcoin. Bitcoin will be the next supported. Okay. Uh, you didn't start with Bitcoin, right? So yep. so maybe talk a little bit about. Um, the history of side chains and, and kind of how you're focusing on this and, and how scale is built yeah. a little bit differently. So, so let's let's pull this out of let's make this less technical, more high level mm -hmm. for a minute. And you could think of a, a side chain as really another blockchain. It's just another blockchain. One of the issues is that the security properties are inherently less because blockchains are about having consensus. So mm -hmm. if there's 10, 8,000 nodes and they all have to have the same state, then it's really hard to get people to collude and get 51% of them to be Byzantine or bad actors. Mm -hmm. and in a side chain, if you only have 16 nodes, you it's a lot easier to get eight people to say, hey, let's, let's steal the money. And, uh, <coughs> and so blockchains have had a, lot, had a lot of issues because of these security properties. And, so what we've seen is it's actually hasn't been now there's a lot of things that also are difficult to securely message state between chains so you can think I have one blockchain that has a lot of people involved mm -hmm. in you know participating to make sure that the state is accurate and you have another one that has a few so if you have few you're just generally going to be faster on the side chain mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's the basic premise but you also give up uh, you know uh, security because there's just less people that are involved in validation. So yep. that's a big issue. So, and it's not really been a matter of like, are we able to make them work? It's, can we make them work securely? So the way that scale, the scale network is designed is that 
you may have 8,000 nodes still in the network just like you would on Ethereum, but your 16 that would work for you at any given time are randomly selected. Mm -hmm. And each one, uh, then once they're selected and given to you, they're also rotated intermittently to prevent collusion. There's also a stake, it's a proof of stake in that I need to take scale tokens and stake them into the network. Then if I'm a bad actor, I put $100,000 across my, you know, my node between the delegators and the validator uh, stake, and I, you know, and and try to do a double spin, I lose that money. Yep. So, so if I think about it, if I know Ryan has all this money on his side chain, and I want to try to get, you know, my two thirds of your chain, it's a Byzantine fault tolerant uh, network scale. So you'd actually have to have over two thirds majority to steal any money. And I could, uh, you know, I would have to essentially corrupt two-thirds of the broader network to probabilistically get two-thirds on the side chain. And so sharding is really a, a similar principle. Um, so you can almost think of scale as like a sharded side chain in a way. Yep. Is that, so, so that's really where the innovation is. And then there's also innovation in being able to message back and forth in a secure, fast way. Scale also has a consensus. And, and uh, you know, I think it's one of the best... Uh, and a lot of people are saying it's it's a you know it's fast it's mathematically provable and you know but usually people when they have a good consensus just try to launch layer one we really try to get ahead and support the needs of developers where they have pain now so talk a little bit about then uh supporting bitcoin and going from just ethereum support and, and kind of the 1.0 where you're starting to um what you know could happen in the next six twelve months? What what's kind of the roadmap, and, and are there different technical challenges that you have um, supporting a very different blockchain uh, yep. like Bitcoin uh, and, and their side chains versus what's already readily available in Ethereum? Yeah. So, so again, this this is somewhat nuanced, but you could almost think. So one, I think you'd have scale is incredibly committed and devoted to supporting the Ethereum developer ecosystem and the mm -hmm. Ethereum tooling. So, so even if you're using Bitcoin in scale, you're actually leveraging the Ethereum ecosystem mm -hmm. to run Bitcoin in the scale chain. Right now, on scale, you can run uh, ERC-20, ERC-721, Ether, DAI, and you know, we'll eventually have support for Bitcoin, for Libra, and other, and other chains. But what's still happening is, on each scale chain, what you have is, you're not, you're not going to be like rectifying the ledger back and forth to Ethereum, you'd be doing that back and forth to Libra, or Bitcoin, or other, other platforms, but you're still using the Ethereum developer ecosystem. So what happens is, uh, developers could run Solidity smart contracts, and EVM, or Iwasm, and leverage Truffle and Remix and other tools in the Ethereum developer ecosystem mm -hmm. uh, and run Bitcoin <laughs> in those applications. So what it does is it opens up currency options for Ethereum developers mm -hmm. outside of just using Ethereum. While it still supports and integrates back to the Ethereum ecosystem and you think about scale, it's even uh, the scale token is being minted and inflated out of the smart contract in Ethereum even though the custody is happening outside of... So uh, two questions on the token. So one, if, if the primary um, bridge uh, to, to most applications is Ethereum, why even bother supporting something like Bitcoin since Ether's kind of hit a critical mass in terms of its liquidity and its support? Yeah. Um, why do you need multi-currency support, um, yeah. number one? 
And then I want to talk more about the scale token. Great, great question. So this isn't. So I've been doing startups in Silicon Valley since 2005, and mm -hmm. you learn a lot of lessons. You know, the hard way. You listen to people. You, one of the main and and you know, and try to be a learner and not a you know, hey, this is what the world needs. So mm -hmm. really, it's just flocking and tapping in terms of customer development and product market fit. Mm -hmm. And what we're hearing, developers want to use the Ethereum ecosystem. And what they want to do is leverage other currencies for their dApps. Yep. And so if you think about it, if developers want to run, use Bitcoin in, in games, in DeFi apps, etc. And so what we can do, we basically are able to freeze or clone uh, freeze Bitcoin on the uh, as it comes in, mm -hmm. and then it gets cloned, and then it will run and scale, which is actually almost like a the small version of Ethereum, <laughs> right? That uh, that and right now it's just talking back and forth with the Ethereum mainnet. But what we're able to do is just bring more currency support for developers as they need it. And right now we're not doing it um, because we really need to execute and take. Uh, make the experience and launch the network and make the experience perfect for ETH, ERC20, 721, mm -hmm. DAI. But eventually, as we'll just listen to what developers want and we get enough requests and right now we're getting enough for Bitcoin so that will be supported first. And, and hey, we're big fans of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin community and definitely I don't think, you know, support of Ethereum and Bitcoin are a mutually exclusive thing. I think a lot of sellers have that perspective out there, but, but you know, we, we really see value in both. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also on Ethereum quasi-alternatives, right? TBTC, a mm -hmm. new initiative that just came out, new mm -hmm. product that just came out, uh, wrapped Bitcoin, right? So, so yeah. it, it kind of remains to be seen whether it's even necessary to, to pipe directly to Bitcoin um, in some cases, uh, but, but that's still ongoing. Um, Talk a little bit about some of the applications that are, are getting built early on, because the the uh, the chain is not live yet. No, it's not. So what is, so how, how do you how do you go about recruiting uh, developers and tinkers on these chains without them even being out in the wild? Given the competitive solutions that are are already more pervasive. So so one, the problem is not solved in a live manner at all yet. So we cannot go use. Ethereum dApps today in a live manner and get thousands of transactions per second and have minimal user experience issues, um, the pain is there. So because of that pain and because of that requirement, we have hundreds of dApps that have applied to get into this program that we have. It's called the Skill Innovator Program. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done four waves now, uh, five. So there's 20 dApps that are in the program. Yep. And what they want to do is be able to build and design specs and test and try and actually channel feedback and product requirements back to our team so we can make the product be in the perfect state when the mainnet launches later this year. Mm -hmm. And so usually you talk to somebody building the, anything in any category and they'll say, come back to me in six months when it's done. Mm -hmm. This is such a burning, difficult problem to solve in a secure, scalable manner that the, the demands there and also the demands there because the Ethereum ecosystem from a developer's perspective is booming. There's so much happening and, and there's a lot of people that are looking for problems or uh, answers to their problems mm -hmm. that don't impact the experience of the end user. And that's really where you see the value of scales. End users using games, using DeFi, using uh, B2B disruptor apps, using consumer internet disruptors or, or social disruptors 
dApps that are disrupting these categories, they don't want their end users to have to interact with another chain mm -hmm. or have issues like timeouts and uh, and you know uh, challenge periods, etc. They just yep. you know, and so scale, the end user doesn't even need to know they use uh, scale. <laughs> How do you think about uh, the rest of the solutions that are getting built? Um, that are either layer two or, or alternatives to Ethereum that, that aim to solve some of these scaling problems in a slightly different way, right? Whether it's, um, you know, kind of the parachain model from Polkadot mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the, the Cosmos interchain, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which seem to have some similarities, right? Because yes. people can make their own trade-offs uh, in terms of what is required uh, mm -hmm. and what this either security model is or throughput or, you know, yeah. uh, any of the other levers that you need to pull if you're uh, deciding, you know, what your DAP infrastructure looks like. It seems like some of that flexibility is already getting built from from the interoperable mm -hmm. protocols, for lack of a better term. Um, so where um, where does scale fit into that, and and, and where do you kind of see the um, the landscape? Yeah. Uh, Bifurcating or trifurcating. What, what's what's uh, crypto smart contract development and DAP development look like in, in 18, 24 months yep. as these other networks come live? And, and, and will you be, um, will people be using scale across all of these different systems? Great question. So, so let's let me just first talk about how people are, I guess, you know, skinning the cat or solving for this problem. Mm -hmm. So, there's a, there's two to try to oversimplify things to make it a um, which I think it's still accurate, but one, you either only rely on custody or consensus from the main chain, mm -hmm. from a base chain like Ethereum. Two, and then and then what you do to support that is you try to have fraud proof so you can mathematically ensure that anything in the second layer, the supporting scaling layer, could never under any circumstances be wrong and you would never have a situation where you have a double spend. So you're not relying on a second set of validators or miners or consensus mm -hmm. in those models. And you look at Plasma, you look at state channels, that's the, what they're trying to solve for. And they don't want to, you know, those models don't want to have to put trust in another group. You look at what Cosmos is doing and Polkadot, they are using BFT, the Byzantine Fault Tolerance, where they have this two-thirds consensus model. And what you have to do, you have to trust validators that run in these networks. And scale is the same. So on scale, you know, we uh, there's a big announcement that is coming up today uh, around the Fuji DevNet with scale, where we've got Bison Trails and Staked and Staked with us and Consensus and Hashed and Figment and Course One and a lot of amazing validators and infrastructure providers that are running scale right now all over the world in this DevNet environment. And you know, we think quality of validators and incentives and randomness and rotation are uh, are viable for adding scaling. And so mm -hmm. it's the same, and so what it means though, you do have to put trust in those validators, just like you do on Ethereum, you have to trust the Ethereum miners. So so that's happening, and I think, but I think you, without needing to put trust in other, if you don't believe that we're gonna have numerous consensus models and mm -hmm. networks out there, then you're in the camp where let's try to do mathematically provable uh, guarantees, but then what happens is you have all these really bad user experience issues when you try to do that. You can't really have your cake and eat it too. Um, mm -hmm. And so so then that's the high level. Does that make sense? I yeah, I, 
I think that makes sense for um, for Ethereum and and, mm-hmm. and you know how you're uh, how you're coordinating all these different parties uh, to to you know ensure that it's it's robust and and you know there's mm-hmm. somewhat there there is trust in a yeah. somewhat trustless environment. Um, but maybe it's it's premature to talk about any of the other specific platforms. No, so right? I, yeah. So I love the so the second part of your question rested on scale and Polkadot and Cosmos. Yep. So what I would say, one they're great projects. There's a lot of building. They've got good teams. Um, but I love what they're doing. We are taking a different approach, and we are delivering. We're executing. We'll see. Like we'll see who uh, Cosmos is on mm-hmm. obviously live now, but uh, scale is soon to be live and, and ready. And what I will say though is, if you one without getting into nuances of the platform and different like feature to feature competitive advantages, what I'll say is scale makes it really simple to take something that's built on Ethereum and in two clicks can be deployed. So mm-hmm. Twilio has been very successful because guess what? It's two clicks and you don't have to change anything else you're using. You can just leverage this other platform. Scale is the same thing. You build you build something mm-hmm. on Ethereum, literally two clicks. Uh, two lines of code, boom, your lives. There's a little more effort to design interchain messaging, and uh, but uh, but in general, it's very very easy. On these other platforms, they're trying to get uh, like you know they have their own, they're trying to enable non-Ethereum smart contracts and different ecosystem to come to life. Again, with the same benefits of mm-hmm. high throughput, fast block times, low costs. Yep. Um, there's also a gasless model on scale, which I could talk about, that makes uh, uh, also storage and transactions incredibly inexpensive. But you could all—that's really the main high-level difference. Instead of needing to be in Rust or Go, you can live in Solidity and EVM and the Ethereum ecosystem of scale and mm-hmm. zero additional effort. Got it. Um, so where then uh, does the scale token come in? Um, because with many of these uh, uh, scaling applications and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and protocols that are, are designed to make Ethereum, to, at least to start, more useful and more friendly mm-hmm. for, for developers, um, it's, it's kind of an open question where you're going to be able to extract value with, with you know, uh, a token model mm-hmm. that sits on top of that. Why can't you just use Ethereum, right? Why can't you just use other native currencies that, that are, are native to the base protocol? Um, so where does the token come in? Um, yes. And, and how, um, how does it ultimately accrue value? Uh, yes. Is it network fees? Is it, uh, what, what, what is the purpose for really actually holding this long-term? Yeah, really. Beyond really the great. token sale. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which we've had many talks about. Uh, long, uh, long-term viable tokens that actually have network effects and uses are mm-hmm. what we all need to be building and investing in. So, so scale actually, there's a very, very clear and fairly simple uh, mm-hmm. requirement for it. So one, uh, every single node has to stake into the system for security measures. So if you're gonna uh, you know, work, you run a server, you actually have to put money into the system because it's really your collateral if you're a bad actor, you lose that, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's staked in. Two, there's inflation. So what happens is every month a certain amount of scale is inflated and it's given out to all as a reward to everybody running a node. Okay? Um, three, there's fees. So you have to pay for a scale chain in scale. And what makes this very unique is when 
you buy a chain or rent it in a, like a SaaS model or a PaaS model, but in a decentralized manner for six months or 24 months or 12 months, and you actually get access to your scale chain and you can keep renewing your contract, you have to pay in the currency. And what happens is that currency and the inflation all go to a bucket every month, and then they're divvied up amongst all the validators that are working and earning tokens and people delegating. So you can buy scale tokens mm -hmm. as even a retail uh, investor and not think of yourself as an investor, but actually a, benefit, a, a participant in the system and actually stake your scale tokens and get interest every month through, uh, through the, both the rewards mm -hmm. for fees for scale chains and the inflation. And so there is a strong need to for network effects. So the thing is, the bigger that base pool is, the stronger the randomness is, the mm -hmm. stronger the rotational components are that prevent collusion. So if you think about it, the bigger the network is and the more valuable the token gets, the more secure it is. And then each individual small scale chain is more secure because of the base and the monetary base tied up into the network. Got it. Um, where, uh, so next six months, what, what are some of the key milestones, six to 12 months that, that you're coming out with? You've got, it sounds like a, a pretty good group of starting validators on the one hand. You've got mm -hmm. some, um, some DAP teams, that have, you know, 20 DAP teams now that have, have gone through mm -hmm. the early application process and started tinkering. Um, when are you thinking about mainnet? Um, how do you start testing this in the wild and, and yeah. ensuring liveness uh, to yeah. your point? Uh, uh, and, and you know, actually, really testing the security and, and usability of the system, mm -hmm. um, and then when will people be able to uh, just interact with the protocol at at, um, at scale that yeah. doesn't require an application? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So, so today here on this podcast, it's announced we just launched Fuji DevNet. Mm -hmm. um, the validators I mentioned earlier are all running scale nodes all around the world. Uh, you'll see press come out today uh, and be released, and um, maybe I, we're, I guess time zone-wise, we're beating the press release, so uh, news released here. I don't know if this is live. Oh, okay. Right okay. Maybe. <laughs> so, you're, so you're good. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, today we've, we've, we've released Fuji. So the next step is the incentivized DevNet. And so, so similar to how Cosmos launched Game of Stakes, mm -hmm. we'll be giving scale tokens to validators that go through the system. And then what we're trying to do, we're trying to beat the crap out of this thing, find every security flaw. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pay people and pay the community and get tokens to the community to people who want to security test and run nodes to make the system more stable. And that will happen in September and will run toward the, to the end of the year. And then we'll launch the mainnet later this year. So we will have a mainnet live. We'll also do a compliant token sale. Mm -hmm. So that our goal is to even have non-accredited investors in the United States and other countries buy these tokens because then they will have to put them to use immediately mm -hmm. and delegate with them. And then, you know, we talk about this like, you know, is this, you know, how is it a hammer, <laughs> you know, a security or is it actually a tool? And mm -hmm. we're going to let people use their token as a hammer and actually stake it in the network, increasing the security of the network and allowing them to get rewards. So that will happen too, and we're really excited about that. We're working with uh, a really phenomenal partner, and that will be announced soon. Excellent. Um, where can people go to learn more about you, Scale, 
Yeah, so so please go to scalelabs.com uh, if you're interested in running a node in this program that's launching, if you're interested in running a DAP, um, or uh, if you're interested in, you know, we're going to have a compliant sale, which is not an investment vehicle, but a way to participate in the network, even as a non-developer, mm -hmm. and, and actually play a role in a decentralized network, um, please come to the website too. You can find me at Jack Mulholland on Twitter, uh, and those, those are probably, and obviously our Telegram channel, uh, which is, is pretty easy to find looking for scale. Excellent. Jack, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Good luck. Congrats on the most recent launch. Until next Sorry. time, thanks for joining. I'll see you next week for the next episode of Unqualified Opinions. In the meantime, peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me, otherwise, I'll see you next week.